Well, I got a little time away and um, was able to see my grandchildren and my family and go tend to the house in Brevard. I was able to go and preach at the uh, Massanetta Bible Conference and represent uh, First Presbyterian Church in Richmond. And uh, that was a, a good event. And then I preached in Linville, North Carolina, which is up near Grandfather Mountain, um, short of Boone. And um, saw a lot of folks up there and was able to preach last Sunday. Uh, the Fergusons have a place up in that area, so I had a, a small Richmond um, delegation in church uh, on Sunday, so it was all, all a good thing. So it's good to be back in the pulpit, good to be back with you, and we turn the corner now to uh, enter into a school season and um, a, a program year together. And we're in the seventh part of a nine-part series on um, the fruit of the Spirit, and this has been our only passage all summer. So if you know this, uh, you might say it with me. Paul writes, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. The word of the Lord. Well, when you see these uh, nine fruit, you know, they look kind of simple, don't they? It's almost a throwaway line Paul has in this letter. And to remind you, he's writing this letter to uh, a group of um, basically home churches, uh, uh, very small communities meeting in homes. In the region of Galatia, it would be like writing to churches in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And, he's, and these, this letter would have been circulated around to the churches. It's one of the, if not the oldest document in the New Testament, is the letter to uh, the Galatians. And the Judaizers have come in behind Paul. These are Jewish Christians with the idea that you must first become fully Jewish and observe all Jewish rites and rituals in order to then accept the Messiah. And Paul writes back and says, no, that's not it. And so he's chiseling out Christianity in a world that knows nothing about it, much like we are today, to tell you the truth. In some ways, we've moved back around to not post-Christianity, but we've moved around to pre-Christianity. We're now living in an era in America where people know very little, if anything, about the Christian faith. It's not that they were Christians and now they're not, it's that they never were. And so when you say the word baptism, they don't know what that means. They have no idea what communion is. They're biblically illiterate. They have no idea why Jesus died on a cross or rose from the dead. They certainly don't understand the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is difficult for anybody to understand. So it's as if we live in the period that Paul is writing. He writes to the Christians in Galatia who have no understanding really of what this is because all they've known is the traditional religion of Judaism or uh, being a Gentile or being a pagan. So this is all new stuff. When Paul gets to the end of this letter, he says, look, the world has gone one way. But we Christians are going to go another. It's not that we don't love the world. We do. God so loved the world. 
But we are in the world, but not of the world. And so as much as we love the world, Christians are walking in a different path in this world that God so loves. A path that God intended for us because we are cultivating and being cultivated in the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of this world, not the kingdom of America, not the kingdom of Great Britain or any other man-made, human-made kingdom. The church belongs to God, to a totally different king. And the rules and regulations and laws of that kingdom are totally different from the rules and regulations that we humans set up for ourselves. They're higher. And so when Paul writes, the world's gone that way, but by contrast, he says the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, meaning... The Holy Spirit of God, which is loose in the world, which is actually dwelling within you. Now, this is an amazing thing, that the Spirit of God could actually dwell in you and me because we're sinful containers. We are clay jars. So all of this is new. The God of the universe cannot possibly dwell within us This God dwells behind a curtain in the Holy of Holies and only the high priest can go back into there. This doesn't belong to us. And Christianity comes and says it's been turned loose. This God is loose in the world. The curtain has been torn in two. Christ has risen from the dead and the spirit of God has been dispensed upon all human flesh. This is so new, so radical. We hear it and think, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. This was unbelievable. And Paul says, in contrast, by the way, the world is now living. And remember, they're in the Roman Empire. The fruit of the spirit is this. This is how God is. Love. And look at all the stories of Jesus touching people nobody else would touch. There it is. Love. Joy. You very rarely think of God as being joyous. There's so much to break God's heart in this world. How could God possibly be joyful? And yet joy is a characteristic of God. Peace, patience, patience. (laughs) Wow. Kindness, generosity. Is God generous? Is God ever generous? Faithfulness is the one we're landing on today and then gentleness and self-control. And Paul says, look, there's no law against this stuff. Well, when I got to faithfulness, I thought, well, this just sounds, I mean, what are you going to say about, you know, being faithful? Um, Go and be faithful. Amen. That's a short sermon and most of you, particularly men, would really like that. But then I, I thought deeper about it, and I, and I thought, what if this, this were an, a literal, actual piece of fruit? What if there was a, a fruit of faithfulness, that, like an apple or an orange or a peach that you could actually get your hand on? How powerful would it be to, to eat of that fruit and it to become a part of your very big... If you'll eat this fruit, you'll be more faithful. Well, wouldn't it be something to give that fruit to our government on both sides? 
If you eat this fruit, you'll be more faithful. You'll not be able to practice bipartisan politics to the point of polarizing our country and getting nothing done for the common good. That can't happen. Why? Because you ate the fruit. You'll no longer be able to stay in politics for self-serving interest. Nor can you practice deception or unethical decisions or the misuse of power or lies or slander. It's weakening our country. Here, eat this. You need a basket full of this stuff. It would change the world if just our government could eat the fruit of faithfulness. How would it change the world in Congo where the government keeps its people hungry and poor? Hey, how would it change the world in Syria? If somebody at the top could just get a basket of fruit, if you eat this, it'll make you faithful. You would never again see... The picture of a four-year-old little boy bloodied in the back of an ambulance like you're watching on your TV now and thinking, that's my grandchild. That's the world we live in. A world that belongs to God. Oh, it'd be a powerful thing to ship this fruit around the world to every government headquarters. Eat this and the kingdom of God will start coming in. Or think about eating this fruit in the world of business. We would have never had the recession of 2008 if people were eating this fruit. Why? Because you can't be greedy when you eat the fruit of faithfulness. And greed caused us to suffer in this country. Caused this church to suffer. Caused my church in Myers Park in Charlotte to suffer in a banking community. If you would eat this fruit, the world would be a different place if you could practice the faithfulness of God. Reflected at your board tables and the decisions you make, no longer could there be fraud. And think of the catastrophes that wouldn't happen. If people would practice faithfulness or the riots and the racism. Some of us have traveled to countries and seen starving people and held them in our arms. I I was in Congo and Malawi. Little children with red orange hair, which means they're dying of AIDS and virtually nothing. Well, nothing, not virtually nothing I could do about it. And what if the leaders in the business world in those countries could eat the fruit of faithfulness where there are the haves and the have-nots? That would no longer be possible because we all would have and all of God's children would eat and everyone would have health care. And then I started thinking, well, what if, what if you could eat this fruit in a, in a marriage? And how would it change our families and our homes if, or in premarital counseling, if I could say, okay, 
I think it's great you're getting married. I know you're really clueless about this whole thing. But here's a basket of fruit that if you'll eat this fruit, you'll remain faithful to each other all your lives. They calculate the divorce rate in so many different ways. And, and I think we spit out the, the 50% of people divorce rate. And that's one way to calculate it, but it's, it's probably actually uh, somewhat lower than that. But even being lower than 50%, it's still more than it was. Broken homes, children having to deal with several sets of parents. And nobody gets up in the morning and says, I want to get a divorce. Nobody does that. Nobody's evil enough to say, I just think I'll get a divorce. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's the most painful thing in the whole world. And if somehow we all could eat of this fruit of faithfulness that belongs to God, that's more potent than our human faithfulness, stronger than who we are. And I don't say this in judgment of anyone who has gone through a divorce. I I empathize But couldn't we all stand to eat this fruit? All of us. Just because you're still married doesn't mean you're still faithful. What a powerful basket of fruit this could be for the world. Think of it in the classroom as the kids are going back to college. I understand that the rate of cheating in our American universities is astounding. And the students have changed their ideas from where I used to respect my professors and barely be able to speak around them. They were so holy and were actually fearsome. And now students have a sense of entitlement, not all of them, but the but a, a change has come into the classroom in American colleges where students feel that somehow I'm entitled. You are my employee. I pay the, the bills here or my parents do and you work for me. I need an A and you need to give it to me. What if we could give every freshman going to college a basket of fruit of faithfulness, how it would change the decisions they make and the way they see the world? It's powerful fruit. Oh, it would be powerful in the military. It, it would change the way the media reports our news. And now our media is all polarized up. You can get CNN or you can go over to Fox. And then you think, well, where is the real truth? Addictions and crime rates and violence and prison populations and courtrooms and police involvement would all decrease. All of them would decrease if faithfulness were to increase in our culture. And the prisons are full. And we're building new ones. When Paul is talking about the fruit of the Spirit, he's telling us this is what God is like. 
God is love and joy and peace and patience and faithfulness. So God is faithful and it doesn't always look like that in the world. I understand the skeptic outside the doors this morning. Because that person looks at you and me coming in here and thinking, you're foolish. This God is not faithful to this world. Look at the crime and the, and the terrorism and, and look at the children who are suffering and, and look at people who get cancer and die at a young age. And where is your God in the midst of all that? Is your God truly a faithful God? Is your God faithful to you? And we Christians say, yes, although the circumstances, I know, I know this is very difficult. But in the same way, a parent does not protect a child from every single aspect of life. God doesn't protect us from every single aspect of life. And yet that parent is faithful and so is our God. But I understand their skepticism. We look like wishful thinkers. Fools, actually. Who believe that one day... Some man will drop out of the skies when the horns blow and everything will come to an end. It sounds like a fairy tale. Is God faithful to humanity? We are a crazy, foolish people who gather every Sabbath day to say again, yes. With every sunset, with every moon, God is faithful. With every changing of the season, God is faithful. With every act of forgiveness, God is faithful. With every act of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness, God is faithful. The kingdom of God is growing in this world. Small as it may be, it continues to grow. Right in the midst of Rome. It's a powerful fruit. But we miss the point if we think that this throwaway sentence of Paul means that somehow we should muster up some good behavior. That's a weak brand of Christianity that's been peddled for years where you just need to be good. You need to do some mission work for the poor and you need to throw a frozen turkey into somebody's house at Christmas time. You need to just be a nice person is almost a heretical brand of Christianity because we're not necessarily nice enough. There's a limit to who we are. And Paul says, I know there's people in there telling you to follow the rules and become Jewish and then you can become Christian. But listen, I'm talking about Jesus Christ getting a hold of your life. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about transformation. I'm talking about the Spirit of God being an infusion into who you are so that God dwells in you. So it's not just your love. You don't have enough. You're going to love these people because they're this color and these people because they're that color. That's ridiculous. You don't have enough peace in your life. You don't have enough joy. You don't have enough... Enough generosity here, you know, maybe that'll do. No, this is God's stuff. 
poured into you that takes you beyond who you are. That's what we have to offer the skeptic on the sidewalk. Not us. Him. Don't ever look at whether the church is full of hypocrites. Of course it is. Come and join us. You'll make a good one. Whoever said it wasn't, I, I never can practice what I preach. I mean, I never get to the goal. I'm always working on it. I always fall short. You any different than us? Well, then come on in. Because the real power in here doesn't even belong to us. It belongs to God. This is Paul's argument. It's not always easy to be faithful. I thought of that as I came to the end of this sermon. We break our own promises to each other. We grow weary in our commitments. We ration out our forgiveness. Our hearts grow dim. It happens. But then I thought of the woman who's married to an abusive alcoholic. And she said she would be with him until death us do part, and he might kill her. And whatever faithfulness means, it can't mean blind submission. She needs to be faithful to herself, and she needs to be faithful to her children. And sometimes faithfulness is messy. Complicated. I thought of a young woman who enters her career and she could lose her job if she doesn't go along with the wishes of her boss, if you know what I mean. And where is her faithfulness going to lie to her principles and her ethics or to? her need to pursue this career and it gets messy and she has a decision to make and hopefully will make the right one. What does it mean to be faithful? To whom am I being faithful? And what higher rung of faithfulness will I surrender my life to? There it is. If it were easy to be faithful, it wouldn't have been listed as one of the nine fruits of the Spirit. Anybody could do it, but anybody can't do it. And erosion comes and takes our faithfulness away in our marriages, in our business, in our politics. And it's like water splashing up on our beach. And it doesn't happen one day. It happens in every day. And finally, the beach is gone. And the faithfulness is gone. And where did it go? One splashing wave at a time. All of a sudden you look and your faithfulness has eroded. And we need the faithfulness of God that dwells within us. This is where the power to live the Christian life comes from. Not from us mustering up some goodness. Not from who your mama was. Or how long you've been coming to church. But from whether these fruit dwell within you.
and me. We should pray for this fruit of faithfulness to dwell richly within us. We should pray for it to dwell in our government and in all the governments of the world. We should pray for faithfulness in our business leaders and faithfulness for our marriages, for our homes and our relationships. We should pray for this fruit to be born in our children and in our grandchildren because all they're seeing around us right now is unfaithfulness. And we're endorsing it and we're marketing it and we're putting it on television and we're acting like it's okay. And the beach is being eroded one splashing wave at a time. I don't want my grandchildren in that world. And neither do you. We should pray for this fruit to be in this church. That regardless of what God calls us to do, we will muster up the courage with God's help to do it and be it. We've been here a very, very, very long time. I'm reading the history of the church right now this summer. And I've gotten through the third or fourth preacher. And when I stand in this pulpit of Dr. Rice's, I just can hardly imagine that anyone, excuse me, that anyone would want us in our generation to fail when we stand on the shoulders of so many people. We're here for a reason. I don't always know what that reason is. I know it's not this. It's not to get more members and to raise more money. I mean, that's just superfluous. We're here to be faithful. And the job before us is to figure out what that means. Huh? If you haven't read that history, you need to go get it. Because you know what? Your DNA's in there. I'm learning who we are just reading that book. It's all over every page. Faithfulness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we have copies of that stuff. Amen.